And I'm Lara. We are the host of Once Upon a Niger podcast, where we take you down history lane as we break down stories about people, places and events in Nigeria's past and present. That's right. In every episode, we will take you on a journey of our own discoveries as we feed our curiosity and connect with our heritage. Join us to figure out how the chronicles of the past can help write tomorrow's tale. energy energy <laughs> bring that energy to this episode how are you tired yeah tired tired but pressing forward persevering forward ever backward never like the <laughs> and i think that's actually the the like motto of the labor party oh really who is the party of the man that we are speaking of today do you see that oh, look at that look, look at that, that. Well done. (laughs) Clap for yourself. I will. But yes, welcome listeners. Today we're going to be speaking about the last candidate on this series that we've been doing. We've started with Buhari looking at the past of his presidency. We looked at Abu Bakr. We looked at Tinubu in the last episode. And today, finally, we're going to address a potential... I don't know. Ma- is it Maverick? The able. The able. <laughs> the what? The- <laughs> I don't know what impression that was. <laughs> the able. The one and only. <laughs> no, because imagine this was like an elevator pitch, and mm-hmm. you're to, you're you're this person, and you had to introduce yourself. Okay. How would you introduce yourself? Or how would you introduce him? You know, you're on the stage. And this okay, candidate. you're hyping up the crowd. Yes. It's like a rally yeah. or something. Uh-huh. Okay. So, the one and only, <laughs> the able. You're the able. He <laughs> ah, has to be able because if, if you're not able, you can't be president. <laughs> we don't want an unable person. No, that's so true. You, you got to be able. That's true. Uh, the able, the, the, the capable, the capable. <laughs> The, Boy, I'm bad at this, you know. The, come on, give me one more word. Listen, uh, today the thesaurus <laughs> is not. Is, I'm not a thesaurus. The thesaurus is not I. Like, but this is a, is a guy that has got people galvanized. He's got young people like the galvanizer. <laughs> <laughs> He's got people impassioned. He's got people enthusiastic. He's got enthusiastica. <laughs> You see, that's very Nigerian. You're just adding <laughs> syllables. Adding syllables to a word that doesn't need those syllables. Okay, okay, let's be serious. Okay, Go on. Okay. <laughs> He's somebody that is is giving people hope. And like hope. Don't and... give her. Sorry, what was that? Oh Lara. Lara! Lara! Don't give Giving people hope in like a meaningful way, in, in, in a way that seems almost tangible, it feels like real and it feels really like beautiful to see, you know, as somebody like not in Nigeria at the moment, just to see so many people engaged in a way that is away from the, the two party system that is taking a different type of politics seriously. Yeah, so Peter Obi. 
That's our vibe. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we it's, are... it's, it's, it's feeling very biased in this episode. <laughs> is it? Is it? Is it? Is it? Well, well, obviously. <laughs> because we have to give him credit. This is the first time mm. we've had a viable third option. Well, I guess that will come to that even, that question. Exactly. Is, is, he, is he a viable option? Is he a viable option? Well, so far, so good. So I far, think. so good. But let's get give a little bit of context and background to who this man is. He's known, but perhaps not as well known to listeners, to people who are not as engaged with Nigerian politics. So, Peter Gregory Obi. Hey, you even gave me the name. Yes, I, I gave the Gregory. I don't know where that's from. It's been a very... Anyway, <laughs> he's, you know, he's got history as a businessman. He's been successful. He was, in terms of politics, he was the former governor of Anambra State, which is a, a state in the southeast mm-hmm. of Nigeria. And he was the governor from March 2006 to 2007. And then there was some <laughs> complications. There's been a lot of complications around yeah. his governorship. But then his longer tenure was from 2007 to 2014. Mm-hmm. And then he has now come and he has positioned himself. And, he, and, and he's positioned himself as the presidential candidate for the Labour Party for the 2023 elections. But previously, he was in the PDP. Mm-hmm. He was in the PDP party. But due to frustrations there, he moved in and now he's he's changed... His politics. And, you know, previously we've spoken about, you know, how their political parties don't seem to have an ideology. But the Labour Party, and in its title, you can see there is a political ideology behind that. And obviously this is the Labour Party of Nigeria, not the UK. But from that time, you can imagine that there are some similarities in what they believe. So, yeah, that's just a little bit of background. And he has really been really refreshing, I yeah. think, for a lot yeah. of people. And... He is, you know, he he has presented himself as somebody of character, of decency, of humility. Yeah, that's the that's the impression that I get from him. But he isn't without his own controversies, mm-hmm. as we will, as we will get to. But I suppose, like from from the initial viewings of him and the research and reading you've done around him and surrounding him, like what is your first impressions? Yeah, I think just starting from like his political career as a governor, the first thing that stood out to me was just the, I guess the struggle around him actually becoming the governor because when he became governor in March 2006, that only lasted for about seven months and then he was impeached and then that case was in court for a long time. Just before this us recording now, I was listening to an interview that he he gave a while ago to a, a TV station in Nigeria and they were asking him about just like his ideologies, his party, all of these different things and he spoke about how him leaving PDP, why he left PDP because we've, we've spoken before in previous episodes about party hopping like you know all these politicians moving from one party to the other and one of the reasons why he left PDP he said what well, firstly he kind of viewed it as which kind of made me think a bit differently so his idea is a party is an association when you join an association you're saying I'm associating with you because I believe in XYZ that you uphold, right? But when I no longer 
hold on to those things, I should be able to leave. And I thought, fair enough, mm-hmm. you know, because in the past, I've kind of seen like party hopping as this sort of like, you know, people just want to go to where they think what party they think is going to serve them best mm-hmm. as opposed to someone genuinely thinking it's possible to think I'm joining PDP today because I genuinely see something that they uphold to and I believe in that and I buy into that. And then once you then join the party and after you're now like an insider and you've seen the processes to think, actually, no, these processes are against my beliefs. They are against my values. And so I'm going to exit and join another association. So that was his rationale for moving parties. And I thought, well, fair enough. And he also spoke about processes. So he, primarily he said, I no longer believed in the processes that they had to achieve certain means. And he said, I'm a man of process. And he said, look at my record. When I first became governor in 2006, there were certain issues around that and I was impeached. And I was the first governor and probably the only governor so far who has stayed in court for an extended period of time because of what I believe. And I allowed the court to follow the process, which eventually returned the governorship back to me. And this happened twice because when he then was in 2006, when he was governor, and then I think he then served for a year and then they tried to do another election. And I think it was like, actually, no, because I'm entitled to a certain number of years for my term to be complete. And then that then went again to court and then he waited again for that process. And so there's just been this kind of like, okay, he's uphold himself as a man of process. And so... That kind of, for me, was like a first tick. Like, even if you are moving, be sure of why you're moving and stand by your mm-hmm. decision, you know? And so, yeah, so now he's um, he's the presidential candidate for, for the Labour Party. And one of the highlights of his career, his political career as governor of Anambra State that many people talk about is how... He was financially astute in managing the financial budget of the state and all the things that he achieved in terms of education, in terms of the healthcare system, and particularly in terms of health. I think he even he won like an award with the Bill Gates Foundation as well yeah. for the for the improvements that was made to oh, immunization of immuni- against polio, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then he left a huge cash reserve for Anambra, Anambra State when he, when he left. So he is very frugal about public and private money. And also I think, so when he was impeached, now interesting point, when he was impeached the first time as governor after the seven months, apparently the reason why he was impeached was because he was saving too much money. So... They had allocated, so the party had allocated budgets for certain spendings. And so maybe he would spend like 30%. So one of the examples it gave was like, I think they had allocated like 408 million Naira for like the renovation of his house or something. And he only spent 80 million. And so the party were like, we did not send you work. We did not send you to go and be saving us money. That was what he said loosely, basically. And I thought, 
Well, that's really interesting because shouldn't your party be wanting you? These are the kind of things that people should be looking out for because governance is so expensive anyway. And surely if you have a governor who is saving money, who is and using that money to then further develop the states, then surely that is a great thing. But yeah, so, you know, Peter Obi left a, a, number, a good amount of money. And just in, in terms of figures from him himself, he said... When I left, the day I left the office, I wasn't owing any contractor or supplier that had delivered my project. I was not owing pension, gratuity or salary. I left in three banks, that is Access Bank, Diamond and Fidelity. I left, so he was saying that he left in each of those banks over $50 million each for the state. So if you add that all together, he's basically saying he left over $150 million for, for the state. And we've spoken about how in previous episodes, we spoke about how a lot of the times the states are in debt, they are in deficit. So to think that this person came and tried to, and did a lot with the money that he had, and he even had surplus at the end, I think it speaks well of him. Well, with this... I think it does speak well of him. I did see a criticism though online, and this is just one person. I can't remember the the name of the person, but they did say that, well, who who saves when people are hungry? Mm. You know, I think there's definitely a question around. It's one. It's good that you have shown this ability to save, but saving for what purpose? Yeah. You know, the, there are still a lot of hungry people in your state, like poverty extreme and absolute poverty is still very much a plague you know in your state so why why save so much but i, I do wonder I, I wonder if i wonder how that it does sound very cynical to me that that that, that person what that person yeah said. that argument it does sound cynical to me but again i'm not on the ground i'm, I'm not experiencing the frustrations the daily frustrations and you, you know, know who knows I, what the experience yeah. has been I kind of appreciate that because that's something that I naturally thought of when I first heard about how much he saved for the state. Mm. I kind of thought that in the political system where you can't really trust that we all have the same values or that we all have the same intentions for the advancement of the state, when I have power, I can only take account of what I'm what I've done and what I can do with the resources that I have. There's no point putting money in your account and putting it in savings where it's not generating any profit for you. When you when I know that I could have put that money in infrastructures, I could have put that money for youth advancement or whatever. If I could have done all of those things with those monies, the state will probably be yielding a lot more mm. now than what it is currently but you've decided oh i want to save money i've just put it in this reserve well i can't take responsibility for what the next person is going to do with that money i can only take responsibility for myself and so this is where i kind of have my reservation about i think he should have spent the money and he should have spent it wisely for the things that would have a long-term effect Mm. for the state as opposed to boasting that you left 150 million. I think that's how I kind of see it. So I, 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 I resonate with that person's comment. So in terms of what Peter Obi actually like believes, let's like delve into that a little bit. Because to go from the PDP to the Labour Party 
is a change. And I was looking at what the Labour Party actually believes, right? And so the information I got from their website is that they have an ideology that is based, I, I quote, the ideology of our party derives from its orientation and social base, which is people oriented and all inclusive. Sometimes I think Nigerians like to just use flowery language and go around. <laughs> anyway, quote continues. Consequently, the principles of our party shall be humanistic, patriotic, pan-African and socialist because it is established to promote and defend the rights and welfare of the masses and indeed the entire humanity. We shall uplift the conditions of life of all, the prosperity and stability of the nation and guarantee the reign of equity and justice. And what the, the party essentially says is that they are a part, party of social democracy. And so perhaps for our listeners, that's, you know, that's like a, a Bernie Sanders mm-hmm. type of politics. Mm-hmm. So it's somebody that is concerned about, yeah, social injustices that wants people to progress, to, to get even meaningful work. And I think that's, I think that's very interesting. I think that's an interesting politics to take. I, and I think in terms of that comparison of like his politics like Bernie Sanders, and he's compa- he's been compared to other Western politicians as well. So he's been compared to Emmanuel Macron, he's been compared to Obama. Speaks to this sort of level that he's being placed upon. Mm-hmm. Those figures, when they were having their campaigns and doing their work and introducing themselves to the world, they were put on this almost messianic platform, on this messianic level, you know. Obama was, what, is it hope? Was was that was that his first campaign? I don't know. Hope, change you can believe in, or something. <laughs> that sounds like something. <laughs> Some, something yeah, something like that. And I think that's this sort of energy. A lot of his followers, a lot of obedience, quote unquote, have yeah. for him. They place him on this this pedestal because they they've seen his character and they've seen they they they're refreshed by the fact that he seems like an honest person. And I think him saving money even though the money could have been better spent, because corruption and selfishness is so rife in Nigerian politics, Mm -hmm. the saving of the money, although it may not have been the wisest thing in any other scenario, it signals to a lot of the electorate and a lot of young people in the electorate that this is a man that is not in it for his own pocket. Yeah. He's not in it for his own selfish gain or need. And that is what is unique. And that's what makes this entire election a lot different because he has now been able to show young people what what could be. And young people combined with their frustration, distaste, frustration, annoyance, anger with the way the big men, the older men of of Nigerian politics have, have engaged, they've they've almost like pledged their allegiance to Obi. I think one statistic says that young people have accounted for half of voters. In, so in 2019, young people accounted for half of the voters and 84% of the 10.49 million regist- recently registered were aged 34 and below. So... 
that's a huge number that's a huge swell a lot of people when obi presented himself as a serious contender they were like i'm actually going to get engaged with this thing called politics in a very tangible way like they went to go and register they want to make sure that they they their vote was recognized yeah despite i mean how how cynical and it's understandable how cynical people would be. They'll be like, what's the point in going to, you know, register so I can vote? I mean, it's going to be bought. Yeah. So other people's votes are going to be bought anyway. Yeah. But the fact that people are actually engaging in the the democratic process, I think is really important and it's not to be underestimated or it should be analysed properly yeah. because... That's a, that's a real signal as to what the future of Nigerian politics looks like. Because you have more people registering to vote. Hopefully, I you know, in the last episode, we said that we think that Tinubu is going to be the next president. But I think with this election, I would hope that there would be a significant portion of votes that goes to Obi just to show and encourage yeah. uh, more voters that if you keep on persisting the way you have, like, you can make real, tangible change. And, like, you can actually take a step forward. Yeah. And, no, you're right. And I think... I really think the other two parties should be scared because they don't see what's coming. So even if Peter Obi doesn't win this election, the fact of the matter, like you've stated, is that he has now become a serious contender and he has brought the Labour Party to the forefront because I never even knew there was a Labour Party in Nigeria to begin with, to be honest. And so what he has done, he's, he has used this opportunity to to do the groundwork for 2028. I'm not sure when, 2027, whenever the next election is going to be after 2023. And so there's that persistence that is needed, but you're definitely right because a lot of young people have used him as a vehicle to channel their frustration with the Nigerian system. And, you know, the sentiment is that he's not just running for himself. He has really tapped into this young people's frustration and he's really riding on that wave for for his for his success and then also to the point that you made in that he shouldn't be undermined or underestimated because he has garnered quite a lot of support and one of the one of the things uh, the articles i read online spoke about how no party outside of the main two parties has garnered more than 7.5 percent of votes since 1999 and he has managed to do that so it's definitely like don't what's that word that people say don't despise the days of humble beginnings like this year it might be 10.9 votes but give it another four years and it might be 50 percent votes and that's what we should really be garnering for whether he wins this time or not it's actually for me it's almost like that's not the most that's important not the most thing. important thing the success like you said already is how he's engaging young people and when the votes come out how they the, the results of the vote they're going to see that actually my vote counts for something mm. and if i can get more of us to vote and it might not even be peter will be next you know in the, in the 2027 election it might be another candidate who thinks if peter will be can do it I can do it. And then now we're kind of opening up 
the the pool to a larger audience and mm. to larger candidates and you know it's it's not anybody's family business <laughs> it's a, it's a country and we should all be entitled to to throw our hats in the ring if we feel like we're able and we've done the work required to to win or to engage so yeah as mentioned like he's not without his controversies either so I think one of the biggest controversies is his name was amongst many in the Pandora Papers. So I'll give a bit of background to what the Pandora Papers are so people understand the significance of him being named among people. So the Pandora Papers is, it was a leak of around 11 million plus documents that revealed the names of people who had hidden wealth, who were doing like tax avoidance in some way. And maybe even like launder money. And this was like a, the work to uncover this was done, it was like a global effort amongst journalists around the world. Like in the UK, BBC Panorama and The Guardian, they they led like the UK effort. So it was like, so that's to understand the the sort of like scale and seriousness of of the revelations of the Pandora Papers. So these papers, they, they, they showed who was, quote-unquote, doing what is often viewed as unethical. So tax avoidance in, in many countries around the world isn't, isn't technically, like, illegal. But it's, not, it's not illegal. It's not even about technically. They've allowed it. You can avoid... Tax evasion is illegal. Okay, sorry, okay, yeah. Tax yeah. avoidance, mm. it's not illegal. If you can find the legal means, which is why they go offshore and they go to tax havens where they can do these things and they find accountants and lawyers who can pull their companies, who can help you to form your companies in such a way that fits within the, the remits that allows you to evade tax. Mm. It's fine, dude. What did they, they do it? They yeah. And Obi was one of the people that did that. <laughs> <laughs> he was one of the people that did that. So he he had a number of businesses that were placed in like offshore accounts. And the, the reason why it's such a controversy is because according to Nigerian law, you have to... You have to you have to withdraw from private business if you're going to take up some some form of public office, and so when he didn't do that when he became governor he didn't he didn't declare that he didn't withdraw from the business in in a legal sense so that was one law he he broke, um, and then another one that he broke is that he didn't yeah declare other businesses during his his time as governor but but he said that he wasn't aware of this law and part of me is like as i said in the previous episode that like, come on like what's going on in your team that you don't have your governor i mean this is a, for me a typical case of ignorance is bliss like you, just, you can just choose to evade the things you don't want to know. Like he's not a, he's a is an educated man. He's a man who clearly, by all ramifications, he's showing that he's interested in governance and he's he wants to do the right thing. So surely, something as for me, it's even basic because like it's like the the idea of declaring what you own mm. is a very basic aspect. Or a basic requirement for anybody who wants to enter 
who wants to take on a, a, a position in, in a public office. We've heard about this in, in different parts of the world. You know, every every country, most countries require their presidents, their governors to declare their, their assets so that we know what you've come with. And therefore, when you're leaving, we can do a proper account of, you know, what, how you, you know, how you've gained your wealth and things like that. So when I read that, and also when you think of the great extent he's gone to, to hide these things. So I've got some examples here. He incorporated offshore holdings, um, in the Panama. So, so basically, according to the Pandora Papers, he owns offshore companies in tax haven countries like the British Virgin Islands, and he essentially engaged the services to help him to structure the company in such a way to, to enable these tax evasions and this, what you might call tax efficiency means. And so he's got that company in his, in his daughter's name. They've had to pay for nominees who to sit on the board of the company mm. who are probably just not, they're not active, but they, you know, their names are there as a kind of figurehead, if you like. So it's not, it's not just like, he didn't just wake up one morning and thought, oh, you know, you do have to you you have to pay for these services yeah and i think that's a problem but i also think as you said because it's not illegal i'm sure lots of people it's it's not just like politicians who are named in these pandora papers you're talking about celebrities actors footballers who have incredible wealth they're paying somebody they're paying an accountant to go and figure out ways in which you know they can maximize their money and Obi has actually come out himself and said, if you have a lot of money, don't you want to keep it? Like, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, and, but, but that's what I'm saying. Because of the great extent you've gone to to hide it, you can't then easily claim ignorance. Oh, I see. It's not like, oh, my daughter, you know, somebody just did it for me. Like, you know, some mm. sort of, you just, you've gone to great extents to hide this thing. You can't then say you don't know you have to declare them. Yeah, okay, yeah, no, I see what you're saying. Yeah, so so that's that's what I'm trying to say. And I think I think when we are coming to this political sphere to play the game, there's absolute morality is not is not <laughs> is not at play here. Mm. It's just a case of the lesser of many evils. Yeah. And I, I will say I feel as though this is like the only major controversy or like suspicious unethical activity that's been that he, he he's been attached to and i think it's really interesting to look at the media response to that or establishment response to that because i feel as though although it is serious it's really being blown up to be like this massive thing because it's like like the only thing I'm, I'm sure it's not the only thing maybe there are some other like issues but and i'm sure listeners correct me if i'm wrong in my ignorance there are other things you know that issues yeah, with not him. that i'm aware of i think the pandora one is probably like the main one mm. and also when you then think about like the consequences of like okay so he's he didn't he, he didn't not declare his companies in the british virgin islands or whatever what's the consequence of that so obviously it would be ideal to have 
clean slate and to have somebody who has been forthcoming in these things. But as long as the money we're speaking about is legitimately his and they're from legitimate businesses and he's not using, and the, there's no trace of him using public funds to further enhance his own private businesses, then I think in the grand scheme of things, this is somewhat inconsequential, apart from the stain that he has on his integrity, mm. as it were. Yeah, I think, I, I, I have similar thoughts. I think, in, yeah, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem as though this is, I mean, he really does seem to me like the best out of a bad. <laughs> so do you think is the desire that every that most particularly the young people do mm. you think is the messiah they propping him up to be do you think he will save nigeria from his political woes no i don't think so if he if he was to somehow win the election i don't think so and the, and the reason why he wouldn't he wouldn't be able to do that is because of the establishment because of the 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 old school because of the the political elite who already have their tentacles deep in in nigerian politics and who move things already so i think when you compare him to westerns like you compare him to obama for example when obama became president it was amazing everybody was so happy they're like this has changed this is a new america before crying obviously first mixed race president etc 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 but then when it came to actually governing this man really struggled yeah like the republicans were blocking any all of his policies at every opportunity so a lot of things were just in landlock always surrendering of government shutdown happening during, and it's just like it's so great that he was able to become president but his whatever he what change he could have brought that he was campaigning on if if he didn't have the majority i think i think he struggled a lot during both of his terms to get the majority in the house and the senate i i, I can't remember but i think he, he always struggled to to get the numbers he needed to pass certain laws and i think that's what would that's that would be the case with obi i think you would fi- he would find it difficult to govern because a lot of people will be frustrated and we've not even mentioned the fact that this man is a catholic and he's an Igbo man <laughs> what's that what's that got to do with that so in terms of the fact that nobody wants an evil person to oh right to okay. be president yeah. <laughs> looking at me like i'm crazy i was like that's the, Niger- <laughs> that's the nigerian politics what? nobody when you say nobody wants well like you mean the people or the the political jagabans <laughs> <laughs> i think maybe there's a mixture of both yeah i think there's i mean when when was the last time an Igbo person yeah well, and how long ago was that yeah but then when you think about it like nigeria's been on like nigeria was under military regime for like mm. it was on and off on and off so there was no stability but then since and even Demo- but even in that you've never seen a new person come and like rise in the military whatever right? yeah, yeah like people from different tribes i know like that. mostly the houses and yeah the, yeah like though it's, it's on and off between them yeah. you know yeah. and so like that's also another thing that obviously it's not it's not a problem i think ojuku 
I think Colonel Ojuku was probably the last, I don't want to use the word significant, but notable mm. Igbo leader, Ojuku of the one who led the Biafra cessation, you know. So he was, he was that I can recall, probably the last well-known Igbo yeah. leader who wanted to, who stood for something significant and, you know. Yeah. yeah. And I think the reason why I raise that is because of the prejudice that a lot of Igbo people face. Yeah. It, that's another thing. The prejudice against evil people is working against him. Yeah. I think, and people may not come out and obviously blatantly say it, but there is an element of that. And so I think that's... What's that prejudice for someone who's like totally clueless? Well, the prejudice is that evil people are... It's like they, they, they want to... They're, they're very savvy business, business. people yeah. and they're looking to just make lots of money for themselves and all of that and so there's a lot of resentment from other people somehow Igbo people know how the the stereotypes that they manage to somehow whichever situation they're in they can make money yeah even when they're the minority they can somehow make money from that situation and so people are looking like and I don't it's it's such a funny position to hold because I don't know why that is a bad thing because if you can have a person or a group of people who are able to stimulate the economy and stimulate people to to be like savvy tradesmen and women and all of these things like surely we should all be kind of thinking I want to learn from you I want to be your apprentice and and that would trickle mm. down to the economy as well in terms of if they're savvy business people then they can help Nigeria to generate revenue from all manners of areas but it's your typical scapegoating so if there's if there's widespread suffering and then it seems that like a minority group somehow is making lots of money when the rest of us are not doing well then you know people are going to play you know the powers that be are going to play on that frustration in amongst the wider people who are, who are not benefiting in the same way this minority are yeah so they're like all of that and then oh, just the history of the discrimination against it, it's all playing into the factors that will make it difficult for him to not only win this election but govern if he was to yeah become president yeah so i think i think he would yeah i think he would find it difficult but but even if he was to become president i think in terms of being a savior he still probably wouldn't we would be disappointed yeah you know like Obama was not a saint. Macron, is, he's got his own condescending issues. You know, like, when they come, when you come into power, all of a sudden your eyes have cleared and you really see what's in front of you. <laughs> you see the mountain before you. Yeah, and now you have to operate in a way that doesn't necessarily align with your ideals or the way you would want to, the way you would want to work. So I think... Is it would be if he was to become president, it would be wonderful to see sort of that energy bring him into the presidency. Yeah. But then I think we would all just have to be sober and realize that if he was to get into to power, his governing would not be the same. Governance is very different different from campaigning. Yeah. You know? And this is where I stand because I feel like the same Messiah syndrome that 
Buhari kind of brought to the Nigeria political landscape in 2015 is almost the same Messiah, you know, syndrome, if, if to put it in that way, that he's bringing as well. And I fear that although with Buhari, he has less of a reason to fail because he he is running on a major platform on a very on a majority platform where APC is a well-known party and you know Tinubu is part of APC party and all these other you know leaders so Buhari probably has less reasons to fail than Peter will be real but I think like you said that's been one of my reservations about him in that if he was to become president yes it would signal a major U-turn in Nigeria's political landscape. But in those four years, I don't think he, he would have the political currency to spend in order to achieve all the his manifesto, basically. I don't think he would have the support. Especially like, you know, what people are saying right now, there's a there's a ratings company called Fitch Solutions and they're looking at the current polls and what one of the things they've highlighted is the fact that a lot of Peter Obi's supporters are obviously the urban internet users but then the internet users in Nigeria are like 37% of the population which is not a huge law when you consider like the grassroots or the, the, the uneducated and just a vast number of other categories of people and also the muslim the northern muslim group contingency, contingency as well where if they're not because i think that actually accounts for like a huge part of the voting population mm. so if they're not you know if they're not willing to abide by you then there's not really much you can do so like we've kind of predicted in the last episode it's most likely having looked at all the three candidates we've talked about so far that is Buanapita Ubi to be honest Tinubu sort of looks like the the most the realistic winner mm -hmm. at the moment but that shouldn't stop anybody who wants to vote for Peter Ubi that shouldn't stop them from voting because he might not win one thing that people should be rest assured of and confident in is that they're making history and although they can't they might not see it happen in the next year but the thing with history is that we often don't get the privilege of actually understanding it as it's unraveling and it's only in years years later you know the people behind us will look back and say how one step taking one step after the other has enabled certain progresses to be made and it's almost like this domino effect that is going to happen in the future so so yeah peter will be my win peter will be my not win but who knows who knows anything can happen but i mean this tinubu guy is, is going to <laughs> i think tinubu knows he's going to win so badly that he's not even engaging with the people mm. like i haven't really seen many debates that he's i if any at all. I haven't seen many interviews where I feel like he is given, like he's engaging in such a way. Like it was so he, I think he's even, I think he's even struggling to speak. I saw a clip of him the other day where he was, he was making some comment and saying, I think he was trying to say, this thing is a hullabaloo, but he just started <laughs> saying, that. he's a blow, 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 blow. And somebody, somebody <laughs> tweeted like, now which one is this? Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> And what is he trying to say? And on the surface, you like you can laugh like this is a bit ridiculous. But actually, that's a signal like maybe his health, and that's something that is 
been spoken about, you know, like his is an issue. So I took the, what I said trouble, the privilege of going to Twitter and seeing what some people are saying about Tinubu and even Peter Obi. And someone said, you see why you should choose Peter Obi over Tinubu? Peter Obi has always said, if I don't perform well, hold me accountable. Truth is, if Peter Obi underperforms and we protest, he will quietly leave office with dignity. With dignity. But you see Tinubu and Atiko, he'd be ready to chop arrests and treat bullet wounds. Hmm. Yeah. Mm. On that note, choose wisely. Yes. That's all we can say, really. Choose wisely. Choose according to your conscience. Weigh up the pros and cons. Do what is right. I, I guess that's all you can... You, you can only do what is right in your own mind and according to your own convictions. A lot of people in the diaspora are praying. They're hoping. They're doing night vigil. They're doing everything. To, to, yeah. Hoping that, you know, something it, good will come yeah. in 2023. Yeah. It'll be really interesting to just see how Nigerians in the diaspora can influence this as well. Because one of the things that I've on YouTube, some YouTubers that I've, I follow, one of the things they're saying is that their family members who are going to vote for Tinubu and vote for Atiku, they're no longer going to send them money. If you haven't, if you haven't done your registration, you don't have your PVC card, don't ask us for money because there's no way mm. you're going to be living in a country where you're experiencing bad governance and you're not actively doing what you can to change it. Like, cause obviously Nigerians and diaspora are heavily supporting their families back home, their friends, all of this stuff, but something's got to give. You can't continually be confident under bad governance and just be apathetic to the whole process that's and not really do anything. Interesting. Mm, that's that is an interesting method of quote unquote influence or coercion. <laughs> so what they're saying is have your PVC. They're not even saying vote for this person. They're just mm. saying because without your PVC you can't even start to talk about voting. Right. And PVC for, for the listeners. Voters card. I, def, I can't remember what the P stands for, but it's a voters card, basically, that allows you to go to the polls and to, and to vote for your candidate. So, yeah. So I think, you know, for, for us as Nigerians in the diaspora, we're doing what we can do by bringing, you know, these candidates to your attention and speaking about them and educating you in, our, in the way that we know how. And we hope that whether you're home or abroad, you're going to engage with the process and you're going to support your families back home and educate them, you know, in the best way possible to choose wisely. And we can all really just wait and hope really yeah but this isn't the end of the series we're going to be coming back in our next episode and we're going to be speaking more about some of the more the more recent activities of the election and and sort of like give you a summary for our, our listeners as to what is currently happening and just give our thoughts on the latest that's happening during election 2023 so stay tuned listen share this episode Thank you for joining us. We appreciate the listens. We appreciate the sharing. We appreciate your your input. Yeah, and continue to do so. And uh, we'll see you, or you'll listen to us in the next episode. <laughs> All righty. Well, thanks for joining. Ciao. Bye. 
So guys, thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it and learned a thing or two. Yep, you can find our episodes on Spotify, YouTube, Apple, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you want to keep up with us in between episodes, you can follow us on Instagram at Once Upon a Niger. You can also find links to some further reading and information about the episode's topic in the show notes. If you want to encourage, collaborate, or as I like to say, support the ministry, drop us an email at onceuponaniger at gmail.com. Bye for now. Bye.